Make sure to check out our Facebook and website for the updates on Colorado Festival of Horror, September 15th through the 17th. Oh, man. We're here with uh, Kofo live and undead. I'm here with my guest, Robert Moratori. Uh, and uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Kofo is Colorado Festival of Horror. Um, and uh, in the audience tonight, we've got uh, Brett and Elise. Um, <clears throat> we, we had the opportunity to, to do this uh, at, at the house. Uh, you know, and also, since it's uh, you know, Black Friday, I hope uh, everybody had a great uh, turkey day. Uh, good Thanksgiving. Um, I know I'm stuffed. I think I uh, had some great haggis. <laughs> My family's not watching this. <laughs> Uh, and, but we had some good dry turkey too. Ah, my mom doesn't watch this either. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah, Robert, thanks for coming out. Um, for those of you that uh, aren't aware, you know, Robert uh, is a filmmaker and uh, more specifically, you're a cinematographer, uh, director. Sometimes co-producer yeah, nice. every now and then and I direct something, but mostly that's my gig. Yeah. Okay. Cinematography, co-producing. Uh, no, that's that's cool. Uh, you've been a part of uh, some of my favorite, uh, you know, films of recent: Doc of the Dead, uh, Memory, and then uh, and 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 I keep watching the the Hitchcock film title: Seventy Eight Fifty Two. Seventy Eight Fifty Two. I keep. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, about your background and you know what got you into to film and filmmaking? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I, I was I was always into going to the movies. I grew up in a, a small city in Wyoming, and um, there wasn't a whole lot to do, so I found myself at the theater quite a bit. Um, and I also grew up in the in the age of Star Wars and all those great, you know, uh, horror sci-fi films of the '80s, Blade Runner and the, John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh yeah. Um, I guess one of my earliest horror films was Jaws. I saw it when it came out. I was probably like seven, seven or eight or something like okay. that. And it traumatized me. And I still have strong dreams to this day, I think. Did um, you see it in the theater? It was a drive-in. Oh, no kidding. Yes. Wow. That, um, would, that would traumatize you. It was, <laughs> <laughs> my family should not have taken me to see that movie at that age. That was irresponsible of them. Um, so that's... That's one of the earliest horror films, but I, I I really loved horror films when I was a kid. I mean, they scared the hell out of me. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I loved them. I even remember. Um, did you ever see a Larry Cohen movie called It's Alive? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mutant Baby. So yep. I remember seeing the trailer for that on TV and having nightmares just from watching the trailer. Okay. But of course, when it came out on HBO, I had to, I had to see yeah. it. Yeah. So most definitely. <laughs> and it just. Uh, scare the shit out of me. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's there's something about those little creatures that can be under your bed or in your closet or right. You know that you can't quite see coming. Yeah, so. I had the same uh, uh, response to uh, Phantasm with the, the the little you know people that helped out at the the funeral home. Mm -hmm. Got got yeah. You know, basically the the dead people that got condensed in another pocket dimension or something like that and then come back. <laughs> Yeah. I love that movie too. Yeah, yeah, no, I oh. definitely remember that. Man, that one, that one freaked me out. Yeah, I, th I think uh, I, I jumped on uh, "It's Alive" way later, like probably when I was in art school. That's when I was introduced to that film. So I was like, you know, probably outgrew the, 
the you know it being spooky for for me but mm -hmm, uh, but yeah sure. but yeah jaws i got introduced to that at an early age and probably shouldn't but i didn't i didn't have to see it on the the big screen so it's just like oh oh the fish is this big <laughs> yeah i wanted to see alien on the big screen but i ended oh, up yeah. having to sneak it on hbo when i was a kid yeah but, you know again that had a huge effect on me yeah especially the chestburster scene and i mean it was it was yeah it was an amazing film yeah and frightening yeah it uh, yeah that that one uh incredibly suspenseful i mean it's it's uh, essentially uh you know sci-fi horror and it was just you know, masterful in its minimalism, you know, not unveiling, you know, that terror just, you know, right away mm -hmm, either, mm -hmm. you know, kind of saving that stuff for the end. So, but, uh, but that's, that's a good segue to, you know, your recent film memory. Sure. Well, yeah. it's actually not our most recent film. Uh, our most recent film was Leap of Faith, oh. which is a, basically a movie about William Friedkin talking about the exorcist. So it was just a one interview film. Oh my gosh. Um, we were lucky enough to have it premiere at Venice. And um and that was that was really fun to work on as well because The Exorcist was also another horror movie yeah. that scared the hell out of me when I was a child. Another movie I should not have seen until I was older, but that was, you know, there's a whole list of those. So Me me too. Uh that was playing somehow that was playing on on TV at my grandma's house and she was babysitting me and my parents and her were in the other room. And I was watching that, and I remember leaving a nice wet state on this carpet. <laughs> Thanks, Grandma. I miss you. I mean, that movie still holds up to this day. It's creepy yeah. as hell, you know. Yeah. That the supernatural elements to it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I mean, those two films were. Uh, I helped make those films uh, with my company, Exhibit A Pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, we used to all be based in, in Denver, but we're kind of scattered now. It's Alexander Philippe uh, mm -hmm. who's the director and Carrie Roy is the producer uh, for the most part. And um, I shoot all of our films and, you know, help produce when I can. So um, we've, we've had a, a pretty good string of films the last, you know, the last few. Our first film was The People versus George Lucas back in 2010. I remember that. I, I did go see that as at a screening at, uh, um, I think it was at the Tivoli or um, Metro Campus uh, for um, uh, the, the Stars Denver Film Fest. When it was Stars, when, when they right. had the, the stars in front of it and they were the big sponsor. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember seeing that. Because um, I, I think, uh, well, and I, I didn't know you at the time. But um, yeah, Jeff Pointer, I think, also worked on that film too with you guys. Yeah, yeah. So so we went went there and, and uh, got to see that. So so yeah, that was that was great. That was that was pretty fun. Yeah, it was it was um, it was it was a lot more guerrilla uh, at that point. We didn't really mm -hmm. have funding. We had all just kind of pitch in, and so we kind of cobbled it together over a few years. We had a hard time getting good interviews, though we were able to get. Neil Gaiman and Gary nice. Kurtz and and a few others that that certainly helped validate you know the the film and our process but um, had a lot of rejections I mean you always get rejections when yeah. you're, when you're trying to make a movie um, trying to make a documentary about a movie or anything else but um, but yeah it was it was it was a great first film and it kind of got our you know helped us get our foot in the door we've been making mostly. Well, I mean, all of our films are pop culture to some degree, yeah. right? Even even our 
probably the least known film, which was our follow-up, which is called The Life and Times of Paul the Psychic Octopus. I remember seeing that, too. That was yeah. pretty was You're one of the few. <laughs> Thank you for seeing that. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, um, we also saw that at the Denver Film Fest a couple of years later. <clears throat> yeah, that was that one was also like kind of rough and tumble, you know, we had mm-hmm. very little money and we were, we were basically using trips for film festivals for people versus George Lucas to travel to these places to conduct interviews in Europe. And um, we did go to Russia. We went to a couple of other places, but it's mostly European. Yeah. But um, nice. So, yeah. So, That's and then cool. after that was Doc of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I, I saw that uh, when it first uh, popped up on uh, Netflix. Oh, uh, but but during one of the, the sessions, like one of the, the film sessions that you had for Doc of the Dead with, with George Romero when he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I think... Um, was it the Max, Zombie Town Hall? Yeah, yeah. yeah Max Brooks was Yeah, there. we were in the, the audience there. And, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, again, you know, uh, Pointer invited us because, you know, he was working on the project and stuff, so... So that was that was fantastic. What a what a what a treat to be a part of that audience. Yeah, no, it was it was um, it was really hard to put that together. It was really you know we ended up using a couple minutes in our film, and they actually created just like a, a program, um, uh, a DVD for uh, with that entire uh, town hall. No kidding. Uh, which is out there somewhere. Um, but it was a pleasure meeting George Romero. Uh, he's he was he was the kindest guy. I mean he. he uh, he kind of exemplified that uh, that stereotype of horror directors being like just the sweetest people. Yeah, you know? I mean, which we found to be the case in, um, in 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 most of our experience with with those uh, with those directors. But he was great. He was just a sweet guy and um, pleasure to interview, pleasure to hang out with, um, and uh, uh, really helped make that film what it what it is. I mean, he was yeah. one of our first interviews. So. Nice. Yeah, he always seemed uh, so endearing. But you also had like uh, Max Brooks, who was mm-hmm. you know just coming off of his uh, success with uh, World War Z, right? right. The book. And yeah. then, I don't know if that film adaptation came out at that time. I think it was pretty close. I don't. I don't uh, think that he was very happy with the film adaptation Probably because not. yeah, it really had very little to do with the book. I love the book. I thought the book was yeah. great. You know, it was very. It had a lot of geopolitical ideas in it too right you know which which was kind of nice and and he loved romero zombies the slow zombies and mm-hmm. he talks about that in the film but, oh yeah because that wasn't used in the the actual film they were, yeah they were the super zombies you know it's like i yeah. think i think one was captain america right you saw that shit no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that was bullshit that was bullshit <laughs> no that's that's pretty cool yeah so yeah it, it sounds like you're able to while filming you know organize and create like pretty unique experiences too that, that you're able to to lens and everything sure. um so yeah were you able to yeah now you, you you talk about the this um this this piece on uh the exorcist um i had no idea about that now yeah well it was just you know it it there weren't a lot of shooting days on it um we spent about four days with Liam Friedkin and then Mm -hmm. um Alexander went back and did uh, some audio pickups with him and um so we mostly shot in in LA and then we we took a trip to Kyoto because um Friedkin references his experience um at the Zen Gardens in Kyoto and 
Um, Alexander really felt like it was an important part of the story, so we went there to shoot B-roll, which was, that's the second time I've been there, and it's one of my favorite cities in the world, so cool. it was a pleasure being able to go back, and we were there during cherry blossom season, so it was oh, like, nice. you know, it was like a fantasy or something. It was yeah. just so beautiful, and it's hard. it was hard not to get good footage there yeah. because everything was so gorgeous. Oh, cool. Nice. So, in, in you premiered that at Venice just recently. It premiered at Venice, nice. um, and then it uh, went to BFI, and it's. Um, I think it's going to be there's a, like a special event at Sundance for it. Too. No kidding. So, um, you know, we've, we we were lucky to have two films before that premiere at Sundance, um, seventy eight fifty two, and mm -hmm. and um, Memory. So. It's, you know, when you get into these festivals, it, it seems like it's, it, you develop a relationship with them and, and, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, it's nice to be able to come back. And I think, you know, they like to foster, um, repeat, you mm -hmm. know, films from directors, um, that they've, they've, that have premiered there. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's great to have that kind of, you know, relationship. That's, that's fantastic. It's, uh, um, um, so yeah, just keep up that uh, that working relate, you know, working uh, uh, relationship uh, going forward with that. Um, I mean, you still have to get in. You still have to have a, a decent film. It's not like yeah, it's not yeah. like you get one film in and everything. And then follows, it just but, yeah, it's just a floodgate. You can submit whatever crap you want. Right. Let's just do it. Eric but, I mean, it's just often. it's it's more like it puts. I think it puts your film on their radar because yeah. they have so many submissions. You know, I think one year was like fifteen thousand films submitted. Yeah. So <laughs> that's quite a bit. You know, you don't not you know those festivals basically start. Um, with interns watching you know, mm -hmm. films and passing them along. So they have to go through like several different levels of being accepted. And, and sometimes good films don't make it past that first round. And, right. you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, with, the, with the Exorcist film, uh, I mean, it's going to film festivals. You don't have a distributor now. So there's no, um, no way of knowing, you know, when uh, the rest of us can see it. Hopefully soon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, we're definitely working on it. But uh, but with memory, you've got that distribution with uh, uh, Legion M, right? Yes, they were a co-distributor, and and nice. and we we love Legion. They're mm -hmm. great people. And, okay. And they're they're just. Um, I mean, I've even invested in them because I believe in their whole. You know, um, the way they the way they developed their business and opened mm -hmm. it up to the fans to, to be owners and investors, I think is a really cool thing. And all the people who run it are fans. They're yeah. fanboys like me, you know, that, so they love watching movies. Yeah. They love being involved. And, um, and yeah, I can't, I can't say, and, and, you know, enough good things about them. Yeah. You know, as a company. So that that's cool. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I'm also a you know, investor in them as well. And, uh, uh, so, so is Brett. He was, he was raising his hand. He's, he's a round five investor, you know, whatever that means. I think that means he's waiting for a kidney. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Elise and I went and saw, uh, you know, Mandy last year. So yeah, that, that really got Mandy. me hooked. 
That's that's it's a it's a bit of a yeah it's it's a bit of a slow burn but but man it's have you intense. seen have you seen Beyond the Black Rainbow his first film yes I've got that on on Blu-ray that's and that's pretty intense too that's that's a little even more esoteric I think but right it's really great so. the way he I mean of course I respond to those films because you know he they they take place in the eighties even though they might not be as obvious yeah to some people but. Um, just that kind of style and that sensibility, you know, I think that's why I like Stranger Things so much too. You know, the nostalgia. Up, yeah, there's there's that factor. Yeah. Um, you know, J.J. Abrams and Super 8. I, I think I like that okay. film more than a lot of people because it just, again, it felt like watching a film from the 80s, watching mm-hmm. E.T. or, you know, some of the other kind of Spielberg blockbuster films from that era. And, and you could really sense that. So Nice. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, it, you know, with with uh, memory, like, um, um, it, well, in a number of these uh, these documentaries that you made, you know, you, you alluded to the fact that uh, you do uh, working with uh, Exhibit A, uh, working on these films, you're doing these about uh, you know pop culture, and they they seem to be uh, probably start out as like uh, you know ideas. Uh, uh, of um, you know, kind of um, homages to to your childhood, you know, to some extent, but but it's interesting to to, to sit through and, and watch, you know, especially with the, the Hitchcock documentary and with Memory, you know, seeing you you know, kind of explore all these different themes and, and uh, different meanings, whether they're you know maybe they're there or not. Sure. So it's um, so it's 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 pretty engaging and, and wonderfully meaty, I think. Um, like the the title memory, yeah. How did you guys come across or come come up with that uh, that title? Well, that was the title of Dan O'Bannon's original script. Okay. Alien. So um, that was definitely one of the films that we we went through a lot of titles before we came up with yeah. that particular one. And um, and uh, his his original. St- you know, we got to actually see pages from the original script and a lot of his notes. Um, his, um, Dan O'Bannon's wife, Diane, really opened up the archive to us. So we got to see a lot of great things at, at her place and storyboard, storyboards uh, from different artists, including Dan mm-hmm. himself. And um, so it was really wonderful to see all these, you know, these archived archival materials that give you a sense of how it evolved as a project. And yeah. um, and I think we were trying to explore that quite a bit since, you know, a lot of, a lot has been said about Alien over the years. Yeah. Obviously a lot of um, behind the scenes and, and documentary work. So um, coming up with stuff that hadn't been out there, you mm-hmm. know, was, was, was difficult, but that was certainly one of the avenues that helped us bring original content to that. Nice. And, and uh, you know, with the, the Hitchcock uh, documentary, too, like, how did you guys also come up with the, the title for that? Well, 7852, that's all Alexander. Um, 7852 stands for 78 setups and 52 cuts in the shower oh, scene. Oh, okay. Itself. Okay. So, and it was referenced by um, a historian. I can't remember mm. the name of, of the person who wrote about that. But, um, so that's what it references. That's a nice encapsulation then, you know, just yeah, for that film, but also, you know, specifically the, the shower scene in question. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 an amazing scene in yeah. cinema history. I mean, again, like Psycho was a movie I saw when I was a kid as well, you know, and I probably didn't, um, at the time, I, I probably wasn't mature enough to understand how masterful it was, you know, mm-hmm. until later in life when I rewatched it. But but that scene is 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 really incredible and the yeah. fact it's so scary and it was so scary i mean mm-hmm. i think it's maybe not as scary to, to audiences these days because we're so jaded you know right. everything we've seen but but um but back then it was horrifying yeah you know, it scared a whole generation of people <laughs> so yeah. It's, yeah you know it's um it's an amazing study to to try and take it apart and alexander did a great job nice nice um yeah when you go in kind of changing gears mm-hmm. yeah going into like filmmaking uh you know with with your camera work you know behind the lens what are you tr- you know you know what are you trying to uh accomplish you know doing these uh, documentaries doing these these interviews is it like a tends to be like a multi-camera setup um or are you you know specifically trying to to look for a, a mood or um, you know, something of that nature. It's, it's a pretty wide open question. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, well, it's tough, you know, I've shot a lot of interviews, um, and I also shoot narrative and that's what I'd really like to do, but it's, it's just, it's tough doing that in Denver, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's always, um, you know, we've, we've always tried to be cinematic with our mm-hmm. filmmaking. And so, if you take 7852, for example, everything was shot green screen so we could put people inside of a motel room and okay. either a motel room or an old Victorian mansion, like yeah. the Bates house. So um, so we shot everything green screen and then we shot background plates. The actual, the, the motel room was a set that we built mm-hmm. um, because we had so many different angles to shoot from. And um, we found this old Zenith portal TV to use, you know, <laughs> nice. to, to display like archival footage um, to make it look like people were in a, a, an old, you know, motel room, a mid-century motel room looking at, you know, this old TV and, and watching Psycho on it. So, um, so that was fun. I mean, it was challenging. We didn't have a lot, we never have a lot of money to work with. So we had yeah. to come up with creative ways of doing it. And we also wanted to shoot in black and white because we thought it just obviously fit the style and yeah. Um, I love shooting that way too. It's it's really fun. So we did a few recreations. We went to the uh, the, the Universal lot where they still have a motel set and a, and nice. a house set. I think the facade of the house is original, and the motel set was maybe from one of the sequels, okay. Psycho. But you know, of course, they have like Whoville, like right behind the motel. <laughs> yeah. So we're having to shoot around that. Yeah. Know? So we just shot all night. We brought in a rain machine, you know, not the most expensive one, mm-hmm. and did what we could. You know, found an old Ford car nice. um, to match the one in Psycho, and and um, <clears throat> did what we could with the yeah. amount of resources we had. You know. Yeah. And then really? for memory, um, and I don't want to cut you no, off. that's okay. And then for memory, we decided to go with a really stark look for the interviews, just one key light, you know, okay. up against black, and um, to, to give it a little bit of a claustrophobic feel to yeah. it and make it moody. And, um, you know, you're always trying to do something different with interviews, but it's hard because you, you have to light people well so they look good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you have to, um, I mean, there are certain rules you sort of have, you have to follow to create a good interview. And we do use multi-cameras on every interview, um, at least two. Um, 
William Friedkin, we use um, three, uh, I think one or two days we used four, just because he was the only interview and we wanted to have many different angles to work with. So, so yeah, nice. So, um, you know, as a kid, well, were you uh, the, the type of kid that was going around and, and making your own uh, like super eights or, you know, uh, you know, short films and stuff with your friends. I, you know, I I messed around with with Super Eight a little bit, mm -hmm. regular eight even. Um, mostly, I I I uh, I took pictures though. Okay. Um, more than anything else, uh, I didn't really. I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I really love cinema and film, and I like I like photographing mm -hmm. um, people and places. But um, you know, I was, um, I thought at one point I'd be like a writer. Um, and then, you know, I found out that's not really where my talent, um, lied. So I, 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 when I went to film school, finally, I, I did two years of a community college cause I just didn't know what, what I was going to do or mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. Then I ended up going to film school in Boulder, Colorado. Nice. Um, and, uh, I gravitated towards cameras. Yeah. Cool. Simple as that. Yeah. And back then too, we had a lot of avant-garde, uh, a lot of avant-garde influence in, in, in that particular film school because Stan mm. Brackage was teaching mm -hmm. and uh, there were other teachers that were more experimental. So I, I think I got a different education when it came to film making than a lot of, uh, a lot of young people do when they go to college for, for that. Um, I mean, we we did we did have kind of the Hollywood side of it to our you know one of our production teachers was very much into um, more of that Hollywood style filmmaking, mm -hmm. but um, it was great to be exposed to these experimental yeah um, films. Some of them were really extreme and crazy, and like Kenneth Anger yep. you know, was an occultist. You yeah, know? so that was the first time I was experienced you know I experienced Kenneth Anger. So there were a lot of crazy things that uh, sort of ended up influencing me. I think back then. Nice. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, Kenneth Anger. <laughs> How wholesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's great. It sounds like you you had uh, you know quite uh, quite the gamut of uh, um, uh, of education. You know, so, you know a lot of things to draw from. You know, uh, from that. Um, it, especially that you can apply now. You know, to get the that straightforward content. But uh, you know, how do you? you know, do it so that, uh, some, you know, somebody else, you know, might not have, uh, approached that, that you know, previously. Sure. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty cool. So, um, you know, with, with documentaries, cause I, I, you know, your partner that you work with, um, uh, director, uh, Alexander Felipe, um, I've known him, uh, probably, yeah, probably almost 15 years. Um, you know, I think there was a, a clean on documentary that I went and saw um, that, that him and, and uh, you know, Jeff Pointer uh, worked on uh, together. So that was my, my introduction uh, to him. Have you uh, like sat down to, to talk about like, you know, doing, um, uh, you know, narrative storytelling, like, you know, something that's pure fictional that, uh, that you know, that you guys have uh, conceived? I mean, Alexander's a great screenwriter, and he's got some script, you know, yeah. some scripts in his in his trunk. So, I mean, I I think he's I definitely try to push him in that direction um, when I can. But I, you know, and I've I've been fortunate enough to shoot some feature doc or feature narratives mm -hmm. in the last few years. Um, but I I think it'd be great to work with him in that capacity, and I really hope he, you know, at some point decides to go in that direction. 
Um, but he's, um, you know, I think he's, we saw some documentary projects on the burner. So um, I think we'd have to get through those first mm -hmm. before he thinks about doing yeah. doing another narrative. But I mean, I love doing them. I, there was one I uh, shot um, with Christopher Kelly. You must know him from yeah. Inc. and yeah. um, other films. So he, he wrote and directed and, and acted in a, in a low budget, micro budget feature. You know, we shot mm -hmm. most of it in LA and then we came to Colorado and shot a few Oh, nice. Uh, pickups for it. And it's called The Tangle. And it's been making the festival circuit mostly genre festivals and doing pretty okay. well, actually. And, you know, that was really, we had very little to work with. So it was, it was kind of fun, you know, having to try and, you know, make make a lot out of very little uh, when, it, when it came to, you know, money and, and, and art materials and, and crew. Like we had a very small crew. We had a very small lighting package. We just yeah. had to kind of do, you know, but he was, you know, he was smart enough to, um, to write the script in a, in a fashion that would be doable mm. in that scenario, you know, where we, we had very little money to work with. So 95% of it was shot in one location, you know, it was, Kind of a, a set we cobbled together in LA in a warehouse and nice. and you know and then we 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 had enough pickups to kind of um, expand expand the scope of it you know so it wasn't all in one place but um, but yeah I definitely recommend it it's good film I'm proud of it you know, cool uh, especially because it just it, you know it's it's one of those projects that's super challenging to make and and when you can do that and actually create something of value worth so it's, yeah it's you know it's a great feeling so well and, and yeah on, on top of that yeah the the film the feature documentary and the feature film work too you you work in a lot in uh, television right um was it the the um what was that Robert Kirkman series that you were working with? Um, oh, the AMC series. Yeah, yeah. I, I came Straight in at comics, and, right? Um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't the primary on that, but mm -hmm. I came in to, to to pick up a few days on it, which was really fun as well. Yeah, nice. did some Image Comics. Um, uh, Jim Lee was one of the big ones that I was able to. Oh, cool! Shoot, which nice. was great. He was a great guy. Um, so yeah, I, w I was lucky to get on a few days uh, on that particular one. Oh, that, that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I grew up on Jim Lee's comic book art, so all the Uncanny X Men, and then when he jumped ship and went to uh, Wildcats and everything. So, so that's that's pretty sweet. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and I, I know Alexander has, uh, or used to. Didn't he have used to have? Um, the uh, fried comics outlet. Yeah, he's still working on that. Is he still working yeah, on that? I think they're okay. still doing it. Nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they've released lately. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure if you had uh, any hand in that. No, 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 I didn't. But it's great stuff. Okay, it really is. It's really creative. Um, he works on that with Clay Adams. Okay. So yeah, I mean they they do a great job with it. So nice. Nice, yeah. Because um, I, I think uh, you and I talked a little bit about uh, uh, about the history of comics. Um, yeah, I ran into you. What was it at uh, Thirty Five Left Studios? Like they had some kind of thing going on there, and, and free food. So that brings everybody out. <laughs> yeah. You know? So that's that's the key. You know, what everything else is. You know, uh, consequential. Uh, but 
but yeah, I think uh, we, were, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, comics and things. And yeah, yeah, that was also one of your big influences too as a kid, right? Just another form of storytelling or? Yeah, I mean, I, I like comics quite a bit when I was a kid. I mean, I think I was more into, um, I also loved Famous Monsters Magazine. Yeah, you know, Which nice. wasn't, not in the same category, but but eerie and creepy. Right. And so so the Forrest Ackerman stuff, you know, was, oh, was really cool, I thought. Nice. Um, so, uh, uh, but I also, you know, collected X-Men and, yeah. and Batman and some of the bigger ones, you know, a little bit of Spider-Man. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, back in those days without, you know, growing up without internet or anything, right. I mean, comics were a big outlet as well as, as well as film. So, um, but certainly I'm not as much of an expert as you are when it comes to co comics or knowledgeable. Uh, I'm not, I just draw <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, well, pretty much the same uh, here too. Like when it came to comics, I, I grew up on on Batman and X Men, and you know was was introduced to to Batman and uh, by my mom in order to shut me up in the supermarket. You know, I'm just like, fine, okay. <laughs> God, he's so exhausting. It well, like, it's 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 hard to. Pre I actually at one point thought I was going to be a comic book artist when I was oh, a kid. No kidding. But I I definitely don't have that you know, determination and talent I think it takes. And it it's it's really tough. People don't understand how tough it is to be a good comic book artist and to really it's a talent, you know, and it's and it's just as valid to me as any other art form mm -hmm. within that yeah. category because it's it's um it just takes a lot to 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 know the human body and to, to be creative with right. panels and to tell a story visually. So I mean, it's it's very impressive stuff. Yeah, but but you made the attempt though, right? You were you were you know trying to sketch yeah, things, yeah, yeah, a lot because yeah. because you know that sort of thing also informs like storyboards and, and how how to work the camera too. It's like sure. you know all that idea of like placement. How did the how do things operate? And, three-dimensional space, you know, in front of the, in front of the camera, as well as, you know, the human uh, eye, you know, or, or, you know, cat's eye or, you know, something creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it helped with storyboards. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, uh, like, when you're on set or about to work on a project, do you ever, like, sketch things out or do you wait for somebody to bring you storyboards or is it something from the, just wait for, I guess it's different it from different projects. It depends. Um, you know, when I was working on Jamin's film, The Frame, um, he had everything meticulously storyboarded, you know, through a program, through an app. Mm. And so for us, it was more about uh, there were times where we had to adjust things and improv things. And, and mm. But for his style, where um, there are a lot of shots quickly edited, um, um, that's something that was pretty necessary to have. Uh, but there, but for the tango, we didn't have storyboards. We just okay. we got onto set every day. We we talked about what we were going to shoot. We blocked it out with the actors, and we decided how we would shoot it. And you know, and interestingly enough, it it worked great. And actually, that's how David Cronenberg works too. Yeah, you okay. know. And if you look at like the history of violence, like how was this film not storyboarded? You right. know, especially the first shot. It, it you know. feels so meticulous. Yeah, and and it's well, and I mean. He's he has an amazing mind and mm -hmm. and, and um, I, he works with amazing DPs and they can really work it out you know and and make it make something um, look like it had been meticulously planned 
before nice. they showed up. So, yeah. I mean, it's it takes quite a bit to be able to do that. Um, that that's where the the spirit of collaboration really shines. Absolutely. When, when you can you know be able to riff like that, even if you have a shorthand. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's. I mean, even if, even if the film is storyboarded, as I said, you have mm -hmm. to improv and you have to to yeah. make decisions on the spot and change things and rework things because of the locations and and yeah. maybe the way actors are or are blocking a scene together. You know, they do something different and mm -hmm. that works better. That you have to then kind of shift. Yeah, your your way of thinking. So I mean, it's it's all you know, it's all part of the process. Yeah, oh, that, that that's pretty cool. I, I do, you know, like that uh, that onset, uh, you know, uh, problem solving, being able to to bring it to to like, you know, the group, and then you know, it's like how do we how do we get from point A to point B, and uh, you know, see see what uh, kind of you know, uh, manifests from that. Because you've done your share of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's. Yeah, it, it's a couple grades up from porn for, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I uh, Elise is one of my film partners. Um, Brett's good on catering. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we. Uh, whenever I do a project, I, I want to make sure that the subject matter is fun. Everybody's having a good time because a lot of times it's it's more of a you know. Well, while you have a micro budget, we have non-existent budgets. So it's it's more of like you know having that Thanksgiving dinner every every day, but but we're creating doing a creative project, and then we break for lunch, and then that's good. Yeah, <laughs> I know what that's like too. Yeah, I, mean, I shoot a lot of proof of concept films. So yeah, and that's you know we're working with almost nothing. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's um, you just do what you have to do to to make it work, and mm -hmm. you know. It's hard to make a good film. It really is. It's really difficult. It's it's pretty tough, especially when you have so many, you know, so many people involved, and then you know, that's that's all these, yeah, you know, on top of all the the other uh, descriptions, you know, all the other nouns that could go wrong. Uh, there's always something that, uh, you know, some little monkey wrench that uh, that probably should make it, you know, go completely off the rail. So it's it's always amazing to me to to see that there's even a finished project whether it's, you know, lives up to somebody's idea of good or bad. Um, sure. I think, yeah, I think that just kind of sure. opens itself up to interpretation. Well, I mean, you look at really good directors make mediocre, bad movies. I mean, and, and of course they're held to higher standards because they have great films right, yeah. in their oeuvre, but I mean, you, you, you see it all the time. So even for them, it's difficult yeah. to make something. Yeah, very much so. All the way through, so yeah. Yeah, just look at the new Men in Black movie. I haven't. Okay, that. that's all right. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't bring myself. You save those films for plane rides. <laughs> just like, all right, I'm, I'm liquored it's, up. It's, Let's watch some crap. It's true. I watched a lot of bad films on the plane. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, you know, when I'm sitting there drawing comic books or working on whatever project, I always got a film going. I'm, I'm more or less listening to it. You know, so most of the time it's it's not going to be that great, so I don't have to pay attention to it, or it's something I'm very familiar with, so I I also don't have to pay attention to it. It's just you know noise, you know, sure, um, sure. It's something to distract me with, you know, so that uh, I don't overthink something too much and you know go off the rails or something or drown the neighbor's dog. <laughs> I didn't do it. No. <laughs> 
uh, Bob's Burgers usually, you know, curbs, curbs that. Um, but, I haven't seen it, but I... Okay, good. Well, yeah, not, not good. Great. It's great. It's a great series. We love okay. it. So, um, yeah, man. So, yeah, it's, it seems like, oh, yeah, another thing too, it's like you're, you seem to be in a position where you can travel and, and go and film in all these locations. You, I think uh, earlier, before we started, we, we talked a little bit about um, Japan and, and uh, um, what was it, India? I, um, I've spent some time in India shooting. Yeah, yeah. Two months. But uh, but yeah, in Japan, you you uh, shot uh, a little, you know, some of the um, um, the uh, yeah, some of the Exorcist uh, you know interview, right up there. We shot some B-roll. Yeah, was we, B-roll. We, we went because Freakin references uh, one specific Zen garden he went to that profoundly changed him. Okay, and so we we went there. We shot um, at that particular temple, uh, which is really tough some of the more popular ones you have to, to go through a lot of red tape to get in so we only had we had a very limited amount of time there before okay. and after you know they they allowed people in so and then we had a slider we had we it was it was rough we were we were just hustling you know we were just trying to get as much as we could in a very short amount of time and then the rest of the time we were there we we just took other b-roll of the city of things we we found um on the road and again we didn't have permits to shoot in other a lot of other places so we had to ask permission on the spot or just sort of okay uh take some footage on the, on the road you know just walking to places um there are a lot of outdoor locations that are cool there so um so yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where it's it's um it's definitely really hard work but it's it's almost like being on vacation at the same time just being yeah. in a place um you know a place like that it's just so um different you know anything here and and exotic you know so if you if you're lucky you have enough time to enjoy yourself a little bit while you're there and that's nice yeah now and then. yeah um uh is there any like uh upcoming project where you get to do a lot more traveling um there's nothing there's yeah we're doing a project of about Monument Valley. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll be going there a couple times. And that's, we've been there once already. Um, I don't have any any overseas travel on, mm -hmm. the, on, on the books at the moment. Um, so some of the projects I'm working on now are more local yeah. or around the US. Yeah. So, I mean, I always end up traveling around the US quite a bit as well, so. Which is, it can be fun, but yeah. it's also tough being away. Oh yeah, because you you've got the the kids and uh, yeah. the the wife at home, Indeed. having to deal with the kids. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Um, so that that definitely makes it tough to travel. Yeah. 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 But my wife's very understanding about it, of course, because it's it's my work and that's how I make a living. And mm -hmm. So so yeah, that's going to be rough for a while while they're still so young. But, yeah. You know, yeah how, how old are you kids now because you just had a newborn right yeah so two months and uh, oh, okay. the youngest and two almost two and a half years oh okay oh they are really young so you got already got the terrible twos one's already talking <laughs> talking at you maybe <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sometimes in korean oh yeah well at least uh they're well versed <laughs> you know that's but she knows more Korean than I do at this point. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also speaks English too? 
Yes. Oh mostly, gosh, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, no, she's learning both languages, but mostly speaks English. Yeah, kids these days are just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my niece, uh, Grace, she speaks uh, French and English and, and uh, sign language. So she, she's seven wow. now, but yeah. Still, yeah. I wish I had learned a language when I was that young. Yeah, the only language I tried teaching her was like, no, you know, that's Superman, that's Batman, it's, it's Booster Gold. Oh, Booster Gold. Oh, you got that on your first try. It's oh, all necessary stuff. So. It is, it is. It's, it's, that's, how you, that's how you know you're going to go far. Is <laughs> if you know obscure characters at age two. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's Miracle Man. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, my youngest can already distinguish between Godzilla and King Kong, the Wolfman. Oh, oh, so. you are going to have so much fun with that kid. <laughs> oh, that's that's fantastic. I, I At that age, I couldn't, you know. I, I don't think, you know, my, my dad was my gateway drug to all that stuff, but that came, like, later, like, age eight, age nine, you know, sure. age ten, unless somebody left the TV on and when they weren't supposed to, and... Yeah, and Dan gets curious. Sure. So, of course, when we had HBO, it's like, oh, you guys are fucked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was definitely you know the way I saw a lot of films that I yeah. couldn't get you know my siblings to take me to go see. So, oh yeah, yeah, I had to, I had to sneak a lot of stuff on HBO. It was the only way. Right. Yeah. It's um. Yeah, I'm trying to. Definitely The Exorcist. I think I think my my grandmother must have had HBO for whatever reason because you know I don't know maybe Grandpa was boring. Um, so, but uh, I think all the Cronenberg films I saw when I was young was on HBO. Really? Too. Yeah, I remember seeing Scanners and The Brood. Oh my god! Um, maybe they came from within. No, I, I don't think I've memories of that. Well, maybe Video Drone. Yeah, I know. I saw video dramas, you know, pretty early on. That mm-hmm. that certainly left an impression. Yeah, on, great on me. Yeah, that was uh, at that age. I didn't know what I was watching, you know. And then I, I revisited. I think back in in art school, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, it's um, scanners was a big thing because a guy a guy's head explodes, and that was like the right. big talk among my peers at the time. You know, yeah. The, <laughs> I, I never, unfortunately, I never got to see that until, until art school. Yeah, that was one. That was one that uh, I, I never. Yeah, I always saw the you know the, the the jacket, the VHS you know jacket at the video store, and mm-hmm. just like yeah, uh, well, we didn't get a video store in in our rural hometown until like the the late '80s, and so by by that time you know I was already in my adolescence. So by that time I was you know looking for you know Red Shoe Diaries. And Monster Squad. So that was a good mix. Yeah. <laughs> I felt, well, now I'm very well versed. Yeah. Well, we were, we were looking at the video station in Boulder when I went to college. So oh, nice. Had a lot of stuff, a lot of obscure. So. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's neat to, to be able to find, you know, a lot of obscure films and then find it, you know, a community you know, of people to, to always commiserate about, you know, about that stuff too. And and you know, kind of gain that that feedback or input. Um, yeah, another film I, I caught early on that uh, I always enjoyed. You know, maybe less so now, but uh, a Company of Wolves oh, yeah. with Neil Jordan. You know, by Neil Jordan, um, Stephen Ray, and and um, oh shoot, I'm blanking on her name, but 
No, 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 no. She's not. No, that's Brotherhood. Of the oh, Wolf. okay. Um, no, um, Murder. She wrote. She wrote. Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury's <laughs> in it too. Oh yeah, she right. plays the the grandmother. You know, I didn't see that movie right away. That my first kind of. Well, I mean, I, I obviously saw the Wolfman and all the old Universal movies. But oh yeah, my my, you know, my big first big like scary werewolf film was American Werewolf in London. Yeah, I remember, you know, my friend's mom took us to go see that. Oh, scared the hell out of me. Oh, yeah, but I mean, again, I was you yeah. know, I, was, I, I must have been ten or so at the time, mm -hmm. and it was a pretty scary film at that age. Right, you know? and and um, just but also great sense of humor and. Yeah. You know, I loved it. That was one of those, uh, for me, early on, it's like, okay, the marriage of humor and horror, you know, really do go hand in hand. I think the results for both end up being the, the same. And, and, you know, that film really utilized that uh, pretty, uh, you know, pretty well. So, you know, kind of, uh, you know, had the little comedy spot and then here comes the horrific, you know, thing that uh, after it, uh, to kind of accelerate everything and, and intensify things and make sure that, yeah, you can have a good time, but there's still dread right around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, that's always a, a great tool. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, interestingly enough too, like, like alien, you know, would, would do that too. The, the introduction to the, the characters when they're sitting there chatting, they're yeah. bullshitting each other like like anybody would do. It's like, oh my gosh, this is the most naturalist. Like a bunch of teamsters feeling things. Yeah, pretty bullshitting. much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's it it, it lent a, a certain quality. It gave you uh, empathy towards them as well. Yeah, you know? I mean, it, it it's it's a great way to get you hooked into a character that you start to care about. That you that then you know becomes in peril at some point. Mm -hmm. It makes horror much more effective that way. I think when you when you can do that properly. Right. Some movies are just goofy, like Return of the Living Dead, right? Which right. are funny and yeah. scary, but not probably funnier than they are scary. Yeah. Know, so they don't really take themselves, you know, seriously, yeah, at all. Also, you know, written and directed by Dan O'Bannon. Yeah. Yeah. So. so yeah, it was, it's kind of interesting to, to see uh, Alien and then a few, like four or five years later, jump into Return of the Living Dead. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But I think when it comes to, to zombie films, like Dawn of the Dead for me, Night of the Living Dead, and then Return of the Living Dead, you know, it's like, mm. that's, that's, that's pretty much enough. That's like a well-rounded meal, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's great. It, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's wonderful, uh, elements, you know, to, to have in your bag, um, for, for storytelling. And I think that's, that's another thing too, you know, with, with documentaries, you know, it's like, you know, it, it can be, uh, a platform that's, that's usually looked at as, as being dry, but it's, it's not, it's an amazing art form and it's another way, you know, to, uh, to lay out a, a story. And, um, and sometimes, you know, I'd imagine, I, I don't know if, you know, if you guys, when, when you sit down uh, to do a documentary, do you have everything like framed out? Is everything just meticulous or do you have to just let it grow organically and see where things lead you? Well, I, I think, I think like people versus George and talk of the dead were more like that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I think Alexander really, uh, was very meticulous with 
7852 and he was much more structured in how he approached that one yeah um because he knew a lot about hitchcock and he really had a certain idea of where he wanted to take that but obviously people when you, you get into these interviews and 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 people open up different avenues of interest around that subject and um you know you, you become compelled to to pursue those yeah other avenues and so it changes the story in some way but um structurally i think um some documentaries definitely uh they they kind of make themselves as we go along um and and take us to places we didn't actually expect to go and and others are a little more structured but there's always there's always a, a certain amount of um uh improvisation and and mm -hmm. um unpredictability to the to the way they you know form themselves yeah so it really just depends but you That's know good. there are documentaries that like um like the imposter that mm -hmm. go back and tell a very specific story and even have like very specific recreations have you ever seen that mm -hmm. i haven't seen that one there's i mean at least half of it are, are really well done cinematic um recreations of the story with actors basically uh standing in for the real people and nice. um it's really well done and it you know of course documentaries like that have to tell have to be very specific in the way they tell a story and i'm sure errol morris is like that too mm. in some of his work yeah thin blue line i'm sure it was more structured yeah than than maybe fog of war say but, mm. okay um, but yeah i mean it just really depends on the subject matter what kind of documentary is there any uh like moment on set or behind you know maybe even more specific behind the camera that that still um, you know sticks with you and uh, you find yeah you know, incredibly endearing. Just while I'm shooting something. Yeah. Was was there like an instant uh, that uh, just like oh, I'm so glad I captured that. Yeah, I mean there there are definitely times when you're. Um, you know, I remember years back, I was working on a film called Skills Like This, um, Monty Miranda directed. I was okay. the, the primary DP, it was Robert Smith. And I was I was a, a second camera operator on it. And I remember doing some handheld work and we were doing a scene where one uh, character throws the other up against the wall. And I just happened to like pan with them and just, just hit the moment exactly. Nice. And it was, um, you know, I mean, a lot of it was fortuitous, but so you know there, there are moments where you're shooting in that kind of style like a verite style mm -hmm. when you just hit a frame exactly right or move with something an actor's doing that's a little bit more unpredictable yeah you know that um i mean sometimes just everything just kind of gels and it, it just you know it's like a perfect storm and it, it all comes together in one moment and other times just it's just listening to an interview and having somebody reveal something you didn't expect you right know? um so i mean and, and that happens that happens quite often too so so yeah um if i think of another moment i'll let you know <laughs> okay it took me off guard a little bit so uh, I'd, have to, I'd have to really think about it but those are the things that kind of stuff, yeah you know come to mind yeah well uh that's great i think we're we're just about running out of time here um so uh you know where can people uh go to learn a little bit more about uh, exhibit a films and uh in some of those projects well there's exhibit a pictures.com okay um that 
that I don't know, we haven't really updated it as much no. as we should have. Uh, hopefully leap of faith on there now. Um, that's the problem with being a low budget documentary company too. You're doing everything yourself, you know, yeah. doing all of our web design. Um, so, so, but that's a good resource. IMDB, of course, mm. um, it's a great resource. Uh, but you know, most everything's out there except I think Doc of the Dead was like, uh, the company that executive produced it took it offline for a while. Okay. So I don't know if it's available uh, okay. right now. Um, and uh leave of faith we're still working on that nice but everything else is is yeah you can find it oh, fantastic well uh robert thanks so much for uh coming out on black friday and braving the the cold weather that is colorado it looks like there's a nice mist that's coming it's the fog oh, it's the mist yeah let's, let's split in hairs at this point you know <laughs> Let's just say, you know, either, uh, you know, Adrian Barbeau or, you know, some, some uh, you know, H.P. Uh, Lovecraftian creature will be coming through there. Preferably Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> she's more of a conversationalist and, you know, she's, you know, she seems like a sweet grandma this, month, this time around. So, so anyway, thanks again for, for coming out, uh, you know, on the holiday weekend. We're, obviously, we're losing light because now we're, we're very dark and we're very grainy. And, yeah, it's like, ooh, spooky. It lit up there. So he's better lit. I just, I've got stars. I just, <laughs> but yeah uh, thanks so much it's sure. it's uh, it was a lot of fun to, to sit and chat with you and you know learn a little bit more about about what you do and uh, what keeps you sane uh <laughs> so this is uh dan uh for uh kofo live and undead uh, and uh we've we've got just one more uh interview uh yeah this year and then uh, we'll close out the season that's with uh some of our co-founders will just be chatting up favorite, you know, what have you in, in, in December. So we're almost there. All right. Thanks again, sir. Nice. Pleasure. All right. Have a good one.